the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the best of investing on 860 AM, The Answer. The show that brings you valuable information about real estate, the financial market, and other economic business of the day. Your host, Edward Brown, is a nationally recognized expert on money and investing who has appeared on CNN and has published numerous articles in national business magazines and newspapers. Now, your host for the best of investing, Edward Brown. Welcome. You're listening to The Best of Investing. I'm your host, Edward Brown. Our phone number is 888-912-1190. Use that number to answer the trivia questions for a five-pack tanning certificate given away during the show. That certificate's not sponsored by the radio station, but by Tanbella Tanning Salon with two locations in San Francisco and one in Marin. Today's trivia theme is miscellaneous trivia. Now, we have a special guest. I think this is our I think, I think this is the third time that Gary has been on. Gary Schlossberg, who is uh, Wells Fargo's chief economist. Uh, Gary, welcome back to The Best of Investing. How are you? Just fine. Thanks for having me back. Good. Well, you know what? Uh, I want to get right into it. Um, the first thing I noticed before getting into all of the economic type stuff, uh, I, I just noticed Silicon Valley Bank uh, gets the okay to pay out $12.5 million in executive bonuses. I'm sure you heard about that. Um, so uh, to remind the audience, they, they, uh, the bank had its issues um, and uh, filed BK. How does that work, though? With uh, yeah, I'm sure everybody gets upset with it, but it's probably from like the year before the bonuses that they just haven't paid out yet. I think it's something like that. There's certainly a contractual uh, relationship there that has to be uh, that has to be honored. And I'm assuming that was the case with Silicon Valley. Out beyond that, I'm I'm just not familiar with. You know, it reminds me. Uh, do you remember during the uh, Great Recession when companies like AIG had uh, uh, had these uh, trips? that they went on afterward and people were all upset, but then I had to kind of, I, I looked a little bit deeper into it because I had someone who was high up in the company and uh, they reminded me that, you know, that stuff gets paid for like a year in advance. You, you don't just call up a hotel and say, Oh, I need to block out a hundred rooms tomorrow. So that stuff, I mean, it's like they already paid for it. It just, the optics didn't look very good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, now you've been with uh, Wells Fargo for how long now? Uh, 49 years. Holy smokes. <laughs> you, probably, you, you should own the bank by now, you know? Wow, 49 years. That's amazing. And, there are a few of us. Are, are, there still, are there a few people who have worked there longer? There are a couple uh, that have, have been out there as long, uh, if not longer than me. Uh, wow. It's been, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful place to work. Sure. It's changed over the years. You know, you can yeah. stay with one bank. You go through several banks. It's just the way the industry works. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, you know, there were certain times when Wells Fargo had, you know, fantastic reputation about some stuff and then other things with the, you know, the, the 
accounts that were set up, you know, but that, that's, that's a few, seems like a few bad apples kind of ruined it for, um, you know, uh, ruined it for the bank. But, uh, you know, I always, I always really enjoyed working with Wells Fargo um, on, on not only the commercial side, but on the residential side too. So they had, oh, uh, great. yeah, no, they've been very, they'd, they'd been very good in the past. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell us, I've got some questions here, but why don't you tell us what, what, you know, you're you're the chief economist here. What do what do you what do you foresee going on in the economy? Well, there's a real debate going on on uh, about just where we're going over the next couple of months. There are those of us that are looking for some sort of recession by the mm-hmm. economy actually falling into a decline. Uh, with we think ultimately unemployment rising, the unemployment rate rising, the labor market, uh, which is very tight right now, admittedly, beginning to soften up just a bit. And then there are others that are looking at the recent data, and certainly the economy has a good deal of momentum going through the third quarter of the year, feeling that uh, we're well positioned uh, for a a soft landing where we see growth slowing down but avoiding a recession, or no landing at all, just continuing to grow. Our feeling is that what we're seeing now is very, uh, uh, very common in the late stages of an economic growth cycle. Uh, most importantly, we're looking at the financial markets, and it is mixed, but we see indications that things are tightening up. So I guess we're leaning uh, toward the uh, the view that uh, a recession is on the horizon. We do look for interest rates going up a little bit further because of that. And that, of course, creates a, a twofold headwind for the stock market, which we can discuss if you'd like. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, definitely want to do do that. Uh, would that maybe cause a little bit of stagflation, though? With um, you know, with, uh, if a lot of unemployment starts happening. Well, and that presupposes that inflation won't come down. Now, with the kind yeah. of slowdown that we're looking at, uh, inflation already is down dramatically. We peaked at nine percent in June of last year, and yeah. we're currently running year-over-year inflation at a little more than three percent. But that's still about that's a percentage point. Fed's target rate. And so we can expect to see the Fed trying to wring inflation out of the system a little bit more. And that's where the higher interest rates come in. The environment that we see is a little bit different from what we saw 45 years ago when inflation was last this high. Yeah. And I'd like to get into that because also where energy prices are and all that, because that, that has a, a major uh, effect. All right. Here's our first trivia question. And again, uh, as a reminder, Gary, if you know the answer, don't say anything yet. Uh, who was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize? That's our trivia question. Call 888-912-1190. First caller with the correct answer wins that tanning certificate. Stay with us. You're listening to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown and your spe- and our special guest, Gary Schlossberg, Wells Fargo's chief economist. Don't touch that dial. For more information on today's topic, call Edward Brown directly at 888-912-1190. The best of investing will continue in a moment on 860 AM, The Answer. Now, back to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown on 860 AM, The Answer. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with my special guest, Gary Schlossberg, who is the uh, chief economist for Wells Fargo Bank. And um, our first uh, trivia question, who was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize? Do you remember, you know, now you can say the answer. Uh, I'm guessing Madame Curie. That is correct. Can you give me the year? 
Uh, no, probably in the 1930s, but that's just a guess. If not sooner, they're earlier. Okay. Uh, yeah, actually, 1903. So you have the three oh, really? in the zero yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, no, that, very good. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, wanna, I do want to make a mention here for Mountain Mike's Pizza in San Rafael. Pizza the way it ought to be. Uh, boy, I tell you, every time I, I have that on as a uh, as an advertiser, just saying the words Mountain Mike's Pizza makes me really like wanting pizza. <laughs> and uh, check them out in San Rafael. All right. Um, so, uh, Gary, you're you're talking about the difference between 45 years ago and now with with the inflation and, uh, and all that. Go ahead. Well, you know, there are fundamental differences, I think. Labor back then, unionization was a good deal higher, and we had more cost of living uh, contracts, which admittedly pr protected workers, which was a good thing. But the downside was that it had the effect of perpetuating inflation. You had that interplay of, of rising prices, prompting higher wages, contributing to higher inflation down the road. Uh, labor unionization at this point is only is less than half what it was when it peaked in the early 1980s. Uh, we didn't have globalization, all these low cost suppliers, like until recently China, other developing economies. Uh, we didn't have the technological advances like the Internet that really increased price transparency, easier to compare prices. There are other things involved as well, but the market, I think, is more flexible now than it was back then. So if the economy slows, you would see inflation being a little more sensitive. Wow. Okay. Um, you want to give us any kind of predictions for the stock market? <laughs> well, no, with, with, with all the caveats, uh, you know, the normal caveats, uh, this, this, this is no, no real crystal ball. It's just an indication. <laughs> Only one caveat. Uh, our forecast has to be right. But if rates, interest rates do go up a bit further, that creates a headwind by squeezing market valuations the price you're willing to pay for a dollar of earnings, what we call the price earnings multiple. When rates go down, that multiple goes up. When rates go up, the multiple goes down. Yeah. I can explain it, but the bottom line is that that's the relationship. With rates going up, we see a headwind there. If the economy responds to higher interest rates and tightening conditions by slowing, uh, that hurts earnings. And that, of course, is very important to the stock market. Put those two things together, we think the market We'll be facing more challenging times. How far down the market goes, difficult to say, but uh, not collapsing, but moving lower before anticipating a recovery next year, beginning to uh, rally. Do you, do you want to make any comment about what do you think real estate? Uh, you know, there's there's a huge difference between residential and commercial, you know, with right. I mean, 45 years ago, you didn't have people working from home <laughs> the way you do now. Um, but and, and especially with, uh, you know, crime in certain areas, uh, L.A., San Francisco, New York, um, a lot of people. In fact, I think even the Fed told people don't come to work because it's too dangerous, you know, just work from home. Um, so what's that um, doing for the office buildings, you know? Um, yeah. Well, vacancy rates in the office area are, are high, particularly so in San Francisco. There is a tiering in the market, the really quality properties, I think. Uh, the vacancy rates are elevated, but not nearly as high as the overall average. The market will adjust. We're seeing the downside now, a lot of subleasing activity 
existing tenants putting a lot of new space on the market. A lot of pressure there that could be aggravated by an economic slowdown. Um, the market adjusts. We're seeing some of the older properties converted to housing. It may be an extended uh, uh, adjustment. A lot depends on the local economy. Here in San Francisco, it depends on how quickly the economy can bounce back. And it is to some extent. Uh, from artificial intelligence. We are seeing tech coming back a bit. So I wouldn't write real estate off. And it is very uneven. The real weakness in offices, less so in retail. Uh, you have warehouses that are doing reasonably well, yeah. industrial properties. So as an investor, you really have to pick and choose in a fragmented market. Housing activity with mortgage rates going up, it's going to be more challenging in a market that I think until recently has been remarkably resilient. Yeah, I, we, we talked about this on the show before where with for residential housing, uh, there's so many other aspects, uh, you know, in rising interest rates. Of, I think there were I don't know what the statistics were, but a lot of people have refinanced houses when interest rates were low. And, uh, you know, I, I happen to be one of those people. I, I was fortunate to lock in one point nine nine percent fixed for 15 years. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I just happen to hit it right. But almost at the almost at the bottom, just total luck of the draw. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, I wasn't planning on moving anyway. But in order to, to get me to move, I mean, it would have to take a monumental effort because, you know, I, I, can't, I can't replace one point nine nine percent. I'd, I'd be borrowing it, you know, 6% maybe or whatever it is now. So Magnify that to millions and millions, and you can see why home prices are resilient. The yeah. inventory of unsold homes relative to sales, about half its long-term average. You know, yeah. normally higher mortgage rates squeeze demand, soften the market, lower prices. In this environment, we've had, as you pointed out, such a big increase in mortgage rates that people go through the same pro thought process you did, and you yeah. just don't see the turn. So for now, at least, the market is tight, but we're already seeing demand really respond to the, this latest run-up in mortgage rates. We have weekly data called mortgage applications for home purchases, and they're gotcha. down to an low. All right. Tell you what, we're going to go to a break. We're going to come uh, right back. Uh, let's go to our second trivia question here. What is the highest grossing R-rated film in North America? Call 888-912-1190. The first caller with the correct answer wins that tanning certificate, which, by the way, is worth over $100. Stay with us. The best of investing will be right back. Don't touch that dial. Hey, by the way, wanna, do I want to make a quick mention, though, for Palio Restaurant in San Francisco. I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, phenomenal food right in the heart of the downtown San Francisco area. P-A-L-I-O Restaurant. All right. Stay with us. The best of investing will be right back. You're listening to The Best of Investing on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Edward Brown. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. I'm Edward Brown, your host, and my other co-host, Mark Honf, just joined us. So uh, very good. Thanks for uh, joining us, Mark. Absolutely. Uh, let me just answer the trivia question here for a minute. Uh, the highest grossing R-rated film in North America. Anyone know what that was? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recognize it when you say it, but no. Uh, actually, it was The Passion of the Christ. It was the highest oh. grossing R-rated film. It was only R-rated because it was uh, pretty violent. Um, quick mention here for uh, San Francisco Bay Adventures, cruising out on the bay. Got to check them out. Uh, they have a co really cool uh, sailboat to uh, to. Yes, they are. Uh, base, sfbayadventures.com. All right, uh, we're back in the studio here with Gary Schlossberg, uh, Wells Fargo's chief economist. And Mark, why don't you jump in? I know you've got some questions. 
Yeah, sorry to, to jump in uh, late on the show here, but uh, Gary, thanks for being on again. Hey, um, I don't think you guys talked about this uh, in the earlier segments, but um, we we raise capital in, as part of our um, business model at Pacific Private Money, where we're, we're private money real estate lenders. And what I found this year, uh, for most of 2023, it's been a lot more difficult to raise the kind of capital that uh, we do from from retail investors who like to invest in private placements. You know, one of the we we offer basically alternative investments or, or, or private placements, which are in the alternative investment category. And what I've found, and this is just anecdotal, but it's it's been more difficult to find people interested in you know, what one might say are riskier investments, although we don't think real estate debt is a very real, uh, risky investment at all. But it's just uh, consumer sentiment in, in, as I see it, uh, being out there, you know, trying to raise capital, talking to our existing investors. In fact, even our existing investors, many of whom have, you know, fo- uh, contacted us to maybe redeem or, or, or pull some chips off the table out of their investments with us. It just seems like there's a lot of uh, extra fear mongering going on in the media, which is nothing new, by the way. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of the way it is. But but uh, would you agree with my opinion, which is I think things are an awful lot better in the economy across the board uh, with real estate uh, and with other sectors of the economy um, than what you would maybe be led to believe uh, if you're reading too much in, in the media or, or worse yet, you know, scrolling through your Google news feed and seeing, you know, opinions from bloggers and other, you know, maybe less savory news sources. I don't know. <laughs> What's, what, are you running into that much in, in your, in your, uh, in your line of work? Uh, yeah, I don't know that I'm as close to it as you are, but I can tell you that from the top down, from my perspective, certainly, uh, you know, the, the willingness was there with the economy holding up better uh, than many people expected, generally speaking, through the better part of the year. I think there's a certain amount of apprehension about the economy losing some momentum. Uh, you know, there's talk of a soft landing as well. So I don't think that's all of it. But uh, there is a little apprehension there. We've seen interest rates moving up, and uh, that could cause some concern in the investment community about an interest-sensitive sector like real estate. Uh, Mm -hmm. May cause some concern not only about the overall economy, but certain segments of the real estate market. This is more cyclical, but a little uncertainty about the longer-term outlook. And, of course, there's been that press about commercial real estate, which is historically been economically and interest sensitive. The problem is that if you're not close enough to the market, you may not realize that commercial real estate in particular is very segmented. And yes, there may be problems in the office sector, but as I just pointed out a moment ago, less so in retail, although there there are some issues around the country, even less so in industrial, warehouse. I mean, it is really an agglomeration of several markets, and some of them uh, are holding up quite well. And if the recession is as moderate as we think it will be, should continue to hold up well. Investors should be looking through the cycle there, and um, if it is a longer-term investment. But I think interest rates, the economy, and painting all real estate with the same brush, to me at least, uh, has something to do with it. Well, I, I would agree. And um, I, we're not fans of, of where mortgage rates are right now. Uh, I mean, it is it is difficult 
for many people today to to buy a home and many people who are sitting on low mortgages they're not you know there's a, a big lack of incentive for them to move elsewhere yeah. but you know there's a there was a conversation at a, at a recent real estate uh, conference uh, um, recently in Vegas and in fact this is the we're going into the season of of real estate and mortgage conferences now this fall and many of them in Vegas and and what what we heard uh, last week from one of the speakers um, was that uh, people always ask is now a good time to buy real estate? And, um, and, and let's use, let's use a, a home as an example. Is, is now a good time to buy a home? And when the public is polled, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I think it was somewhere between 60 and 70% said no. And uh, so it's always interesting to gauge, you know, again, public sentiment and where it's at. And I think, again, I think the media is really, you know, uh, did it did a number on consumer sentiment this year. But um, if you think today is not a good time to buy a home, what do you think is going to happen to home prices if six months from now mortgage rates are in the mid to low fives versus the low sevens today? Do you think real estate prices are going to be are going to go down six months from now? So I just I wonder, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, how, how that fits with, with the consumer psyche. Well, I think you have to look across the valley. I mean, affordability, to your point, uh, and there is a measure going back to the early 1970s. It's as weak as it's been since 1985. Yeah. Now, this is a crazy market. While demand is clearly feeling the effects uh, of higher mortgage rates, the latest increase in mortgage rates, fixed rate mortgages that we've seen over the past month or two is finally beginning to slow housing demand. We see that from something called mortgage applications for home purchases. It's sort of a weekly barometer of housing demand. It's down to its lowest reading since 1995. So I think if in fact interest rates stay where they are for the next several months, maybe move higher, could see weak demand out beyond that, the recovery, lower interest rates, I think, provides a better environment, especially with the demographics providing a tailwind. Okay, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we got some more good stuff to ask, Gary. Uh, what was the first Disney animated feature movie that was not based on an already existing story? 88-CALL-888-912-1190. First caller with correct answer wins that tanning certificate. Stay with us. Best of investing. We'll be right back. Now, back to the best of investing with Edward Brown on 860 AM, The Answer. Welcome back to the best of investing. One more time, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with my co-host, Mark Honf, and our special guest, Gary Schlossberg. Uh, question, trivia question, what was the first Disney animated feature movie that was not based on an already existing story? Gary, what's the answer? Uh, I'm less certain of it now. Snow yeah. White, 1937. <laughs> No, <laughs> actually, I think that was the first. That was the first movie that they animated right. film, I believe. But that was all based on an already existing story. So uh, the an, the answer actually is the Lion King. That was oh, like, really? It was a brand new. It was a brand new story. Brand new story. Right. So, uh, Gary, I wanted to ask you: um, Do you think it's going to matter whether Biden stays in or Trump gets in? You know, we're coming into an election year. Uh, what, what, uh, how's this going to all be affected? Or Ravaswamy after last night's or, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, I think all three of them just uh, point up the fact that policy has become uh, increasingly distinctive, polarized, separated, 
the philosophy behind economic policy is uh, the gulf has widened a bit. So, yes, I think it does make a big difference. Uh, Bidenomics, uh, as the president labeled it, uh, more government intervention, industrial policy guiding, guiding those winners and losers. Uh, the uh, well, winners, hopefully, Republicans focus more on the private sector to drive economic growth. That's been around for a while, but I think that's becoming even more distinctive. So economically, uh, I think a lot's on the line between the president and whoever the challenger is on the Republican side. I think it's a, a variation on a theme on their side. That's a nice politically correct way to say things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, not judgments for sure. Uh, well, and, 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 and how often, how often is there, you know, a real wholesale change in, uh, you know, when, when it goes swings back and forth from Democrat to Republican, I, I'm not sure when you go back and you look at the cycles that it uh, necessarily correlated, uh, at least not initially to, to, you know, who was in office. Well, I think there is a pattern to say the stock market uh, and mm. the economy, which it, um, you know, the third year of an administration, typically you see uh, the president doing all he can to pump up the economy to the extent he has control uh, by executive authority over spending. And, and then things pull back uh, in the run up to an election year. But out beyond that, if you're talking about administrations having a, a difference in policies, I mean, you can go back even before re- uh uh, President Reagan, but certainly in the 1980s, I think he direct, redirected things to a point. President Carter started the deregulation move, but uh, President Reagan certainly accentuated it, uh, going from a Republican to um, uh, the Obama administration. Uh, not that one was right, one was wrong, but I think we did see fundamental differences in the ideology guiding economic policy. And I think that's become even more apparent uh, with the Trump administration moving more to the right uh, on his economic policies and then moving to the left under President Biden. Uh, so I think the swings are, are certainly accentuated now, and I fully expect that to be the case uh, if the party in power uh, changes after mm. the 2020. Well, I'm still I'm still mad at President Trump for passing that tax act that, among other things, eliminated yeah, so, state and local tax deduction, because yeah. that's that's hit us uh, hard for for those of us who are raising capital in the private marketplace. We're we're kind of limited to raising within yeah. our own state. And because uh, who wants to pay California state taxes if you don't have to? Yeah. <laughs> but, but but he made up for it by uh, making a dollar seventy five gas versus five dollars. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it being a dollar seventy five at California. Yeah. <laughs> not, not around here. Um, yeah, you, uh, you know, that, I wouldn't give up on that, by the way. Uh, it's called SALT, state and local tax, uh, mm-hmm. that legislation. The high tax states are still pushing for a higher ceiling, if not an elimination. So uh, hope springs eternal. Crossed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. I was also uh, noticing uh, Americans now have over a trillion dollars in uh, credit card balances. I know uh I know my wife's contributed handsomely. No, I'm just kidding. No, she's been she's actually been pretty good uh, about that. So, uh, and the average is I don't know what are they charging? Are they still charging around twenty percent uh, for uh, interest? I checked my cards recently, and they were all between twenty two and twenty six percent. Yeah, yeah. I guess you can call and ask them to lower it too. It's about time I've done that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I mean that that's just and then so I mean this is the first time it's ever hit over a trillion dollars. Uh, you know, are, do you think we're going to see a lot more bankruptcies uh, coming out in the year? 
Well, we're already seeing corporate bank bankruptcies rise. We're seeing consumer delinquencies on the uptick. The the groups, income groups that have hit, been hit hardest by higher inflation, higher interest rates are the lower and lower middle income groups. They are really under pressure. Uh, the run up in credit card balances, some of it, it reflects a strong economy. Some of it reflects distressed borrowing, uh, a higher percentage of food and energy. Uh, in the household budget for these lower income groups. And, you know, we've seen the big increases there as well. Uh, so we could expect to see some further deterioration uh, in uh, uh, credit card uh, credit quality. Uh, even the suspension of student loans encouraged people to spend and yeah. spend by borrowing. Uh, they had more cash, they had more financial backing. And now that they're paying off those loans again in October, uh, that could pose an added burden. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, Biden, I mean, even Nancy Pelosi said that Biden didn't have the authority to get rid of student loan debt. Uh, you know, it's all political anyway, but it's like, gee, if he wants to be political, why doesn't he say, you know what, we're just going to get rid of everyone's credit card debt. Just let all the let all the taxpayers pay all the money. You know, <laughs> go, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, love that. Did you uh, did uh, Gary any thoughts on where mortgage rates might be this time next year? You care to uh, wager any thoughts? Now, uh, either you or uh, Edward pointed this out. They could very well be lower, but getting from here to there, um, it, it could be challenging. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised to see mortgage rates moving a bit higher before they peaked. Mm. Not etched in stone, but between the Federal Reserve, we think raising interest rates one, maybe two more times. <laughs> the fact that. Treasury yields uh, are um, as low as they are, and they are the ones that uh, those rates anchor fixed rate mortgages. Uh, as they move, fixed rate mortgages move in tandem. We could see those longer term rates move up a little bit further. We may be close to the peak, but we see more upside before the economy buckles a bit. Inflation comes down. Rates come down with it late next year. Yeah. Well, if you, maybe you can talk to your buddy Powell and, you know, kind of touch him along a little bit. <laughs> how, how often do you see him? Uh, I haven't seen him at all, but I used to see Paul Volcker pretty regularly. Oh, yeah. He used the same I did when I worked for the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. He was actually a pretty good uh, I liked pretty him. economist, wasn't he? He was an economist, and look, he broke the back of inflation. He didn't win any friends for it, but somebody had to do something. Yeah. And he really spearheaded the effort at the Fed. Um, people hated him. The mortgage industry hated him, but uh, inflation was spiraling out of control. So kudos to Paul. I thought he was one of the, the greatest central bank uh, chairmen because he was he had the nerve, the uh, the fortitude to make that decision. Yeah. All right. uh, okay. All right. You know what? Stay with us, audience. Best of Investing will be right back with some closing comments. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to The Best of Investing on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Edward Brown. Welcome back to The Best of Investing. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with our special guest, Gary Schlossberg, and my co-host, Mark Hoff. Uh, one, uh, one thing we hadn't talked about is uh, the, the dollar uh, and, and also gold. You know, what, what do you think is going to be happening in the next year or so? Well, gold and dollar, the dollar tend to move in opposite directions. When the dollar is stronger, uh, typically it's higher interest rates that are propelling it. Uh, and uh, those are both anathema to the gold market and commodities generally. Stronger dollar just means gold is more expensive to uh, people that have foreign currencies, have to pay more for gold priced in dollars. 
Our outlook for the dollar, the U.S. may go through a recession, but conditions are even more challenging overseas. They may be cutting interest rates even more aggressively, making U.S. investments, uh, treasury bonds and the like, a bit more attractive, bringing foreign investment here. They have to buy dollars for that. That's good news for uh, U.S. travelers, for consumers. It means our living standards go up because the cost of things purchased from overseas or travel becomes less expensive. Well, they talked about t- getting off of the dollar and going on to the yuan for uh, uh, for oil. That would be pretty devastating if that happens. Uh, it might, but uh, that's one of the few things I, I'm comfortable saying isn't going to happen anytime soon. The dollar okay. is supported by a large liquid financial market. The whole infrastructure is built around the dollar. Very difficult for a currency, even like China's, the largest economy in the world, the largest largest trading com- uh, country in the world. They just don't have the financial markets to accommodate mm-hmm. these international transactions. They have capital controls, which are anathema to uh, foreign investors. And, and their economy is in a world of hurt, isn't it? Well, they're facing oh, some headwinds, right? Some yeah. pretty serious headwinds. And well, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, the dollar being uh, bumped from its throne, but I could show you commentary 50 years ago during the first oil crisis where yeah. the dollar was under suspicion. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. But <laughs> well, especially when OPEC, when OPEC came in, you know, I mean, we still we all still remember uh, lining up for gas and, you know, seeing that these guys just got together and started controlling the oil markets. Yeah. Yeah, and they wanted to get off the dollar as a as a currency of payment, but it just yeah. isn't going to happen straight away. There are too many fundamental hurdles, uh, things working in the dollar's favor to really uh, make a big move. It'll rise and fall to some extent, but yeah. a fundamental change, I just don't think it's going to happen in the foreseeable future. Do you think AI is going to? How do you think the AI is going to come in to affect any of these thing issues? I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be transformative. I think the, um, you know, the interest, the run up in stock prices, the latest being NVIDIA's uh, impressive earnings growth. They're very much involved in the AI side. AMD is going to, about to be introducing a, a chip that will take advantage of that. It can be transformative. But I think typically with a technological innovation like that, you get a lot of interest. The stock price surges. The interest begins to soften a little bit, a more sober view of the outlook. But when the dust settles, we still think that uh, the, the changes you can see, the improvement in productivity uh, layered on workers uh, could be extraordinary, could be a game changer for the economy uh, longer term. I think that AI, for, for those of us in San Francisco who are bemoaning the uh, uh, high vacancy rate in the, in the commercial buildings, uh, I'm predicting that three years from now, we're going to see a pretty high occupancy rate. And most yeah. of those buildings, most of those new tenants are going to be companies that don't exist yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of venture capital might be coming in, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley, it looks like looks to be uh, continue to be the hub of, of innovation. And, and now it's AI. Very good. That's Gary great. Schlossberg, Chief Economist, Wells Fargo. Thank you for joining us. Okay, you ready? Here's our thoughts for the day. So Shakespeare's wife almost left him. Why? Because she was tired of all the drama. And, uh, and my wife is upset because she thinks I'm obsessed with astronomy. I said, what planet are you on? Okay, tune in next week to The Best of Investing. We're going to be giving away more free prizes for answering trivia questions. Thanks for listening. 
on behalf of our team, I'm Edward Brown, wishing you the best of investing. So long. You've been listening to The Best of Investing with Edward Brown. For more information on this program, call 888-912-1190. That's 888-912-1190. Or visit bestofinvesting.com. And join us again next week for The Best of Investing on 860 AM. The answer. This radio broadcast is in no way an offer to sell securities except where applicable in states where we are registered or where an exemption or exclusion from such registration exists. Information discussed during this broadcast, whether stock quotes, charts, articles, or any other statement or statements regarding market or other financial information is obtained from sources which we believe are reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of this information. Nothing in this broadcast should be interpreted to state or imply that past results are an indication of future performance. There are no warranties expressed or implied as to accuracy, completeness, or results obtained from this broadcast. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.